Good morning, everybody. You've got the sheet on the table. It should have the Tower of Babel on it. We're going to cover that. Um, there is a method to my madness if you've been picking that up as we study these Old Testament stories. And here's the method. When we study an Old Testament story, OT Old Testament, God gives a promise, usually. And of course, in the New Testament, you have the fulfillment. So what I'm doing is we study these Old Testament stories. And one of these days, we're going to revisit Genesis 1 and 2 again, because there's lots more meat on that bone. But I quit because you guys were rolling your eyes. You're saying, let's move on. Let's go to another one. But I'm going to revisit it because there's a lot more meat on that bone. But there's promise, fulfillment in the Old Testament. So if you've been picking up what I've been throwing down when we study these stories, we have the Old Testament story, and we see how they're fulfilled in the New Testament. So also now with the Tower of Babel. This will delightfully blow your mind today. So I've got the, the, the story is written on your sheet, so you don't even have to use your Bibles if you don't want to. But let's look at the text. It's on your sheet. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as the people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So if you don't know where that is, that'd be modern-day Iraq and Iran. And they said to one another, come, let's make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone. And now here's something new that the world never had. This is brand new. Bitumen for mortar. Those of you who do cement work or uh, what do you do? Uh, TJ, what do you call it? Masonry. Masonry. This is brand new. This is adhesive. This is like asphalt. And you can get things to stick together and last a long time. More on that in a moment. Verse 4. Then they said, and this sounds just like what? Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Come, let us. That's exactly how God spoke. Come, let us make man in our image. Ooh, they think that they're what? They're little divinities. So you pick these things up as you read the scriptures, okay? So come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Interesting. They're not about living for other people. They're about living for themselves and using an invention to do it. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now this language is contrary to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Fill the earth and subdue it. Remember? Fill the earth and subdue it. They're not going to do that. See that? Let's keep going. Verse 5. And the Lord came down. <laughs> That's that's interesting. He comes down to see what they're doing. To see the city and the tower. See, they think they can do anything as if God doesn't exist and God doesn't care. Well, he, get, he comes down and he's going to check it out. That, sh that should teach us something, too, that how we live our lives. Uh, I'm going to speak for myself. Generally speaking, this is how I live. I'll do anything I want. Nobody will know, and God won't either. Wrong. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower when, which the children of man had built. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. In other words, they can do anything they want. Verse 7, Come, now God talks. Notice how He speaks. Let us go down, just like in Genesis 1. Let us make man. <laughs> And there confused their language. Now notice what he does on purpose. He confuses their language on purpose. Why? So that they might not understand one another's speech. 
So then what does the Lord do? That's verse 8. He disperses them. That is to say, He scatters them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, or Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Now take a look at page 2. Let's focus just on a minute on the words. They all have the same words, the text says, the same language. So without words, there's no communication. There's no exchange of information and ideas, no communion, no community. There's no way to organize or mobilize. Without words, we'd been able to reach out to another person or to have any form of meaningful relationship. Have you ever had this experience? I have. When I taught in Siberia, I couldn't speak Russian. When I taught in Tanzania, I couldn't speak their native language. Vietnam, when I was in Ho Chi Minh, I couldn't speak that language. When I was in Sumatra, I couldn't speak that either. Now, you've probably had this same experience when maybe you've traveled overseas, maybe to France or Germany or Italy or maybe even Scotland. Listen to those people talk and it's like, what did you say? <laughs> okay. You don't know or you don't speak the same language. Aside from a few gestures or grunts like I would do, you can't express much to each other, much less order a cheeseburger, Coke, or French fries. Without common language and words, we would be isolated individuals and we'd be left to ourselves and our thoughts without any way of expressing them. Now in Genesis 11, after the flood and Noah's descendants have been fruitful and they've filled the earth, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And they speak this way. How do they talk? They can all speak the same language. Now they talk. Let us. Why? To make a name for ourselves, the text says. So we're going to build a city that's going to go to the heavens, a tower, and it's going to, we're going to make a name for ourselves, as the text says. Now, how do we say it? Do we talk like this? Yes, we do. The sky's the limit. That's how we talk in America. You can do anything you set your mind to. How often have you heard that in your life? If I had $1,000 from when I heard that, I could have retired 50 years ago. We, too, believe we can do anything we put our minds to. We are rather proud creatures as well, just like the people here at Babel. Of all the creatures that roam the earth, we human beings were the only ones that have the power to rearrange things to suit our liking. The rest of the animals, they either have to adapt or they die. When it gets too cold or when it gets too warm, animals have to do one of two things. Migrate somewhere else to a suitable climate or they will be like the T-Rex or the dodo bird and they'll become extinct if they don't adapt. Humans, you and me, we adapt to our environment. When it's too cold, what do we do? We start a fire or we call Bud Bogats and ask him to put a furnace in our house. When it's too hot, what do we do? We call Bud Bogats and say we need an air conditioner. We can do that. And if you've taken a trip to Las Vegas, you go see what? The Hoover Dam, right? So we can dam up rivers, we can move the earth, we can drill through mountains. You ever traveled in the Rocky Mountains and gone through the tunnels, the Eisenhower Tunnel? Okay, outside of Denver. And we can generally rearrange the landscape, to, the landscape to suit our needs. And I think of all the local farmers around here who've got all their bulldozers and they move the earth however they want it to be, right? Okay. We can do that because we're the top dog of creation. We're made in God's image, right? The ones that have dominion over all the earth, as God said. And we love to exercise that dominion. Now, in addition, we are very inventive creatures. 
Other creatures, you've seen this, you know, growing up I saw this, this was a huge deal. Other creatures used tools to accomplish tasks. Remember the gorilla that could use a leaf? You ever seen that? When I was growing up, that was a huge deal. To go termite fishing. The termite hill, put a, put a leaf in there, pull it out, eat the termites. <laughs> but we invent things. Bricks and bitumen for mortar in Genesis 11 represent our inventiveness and our ability to alter the landscape to our specifications. So we're not limited to stones and rocks that we find lying around. We can actually bake bricks. We're not limited to mud for mortar. We can produce tar and other adhesives. This is huge in Genesis 11. That's why I'm pointing this out. You read the Bible and you miss this sometimes, so I'm really pushing this. You got it? It's really important to understand what's going on. Any questions about this? All right, let's keep going. Think of our inventions and discoveries today. Everything from the great advances of medical science and technology. And I'm not poo-pooing any of this. Don't misunderstand. Like smart glasses. Ever worn one of those? Oh, you should try that. That's a blast. To the things like our high-speed computers that some of you wear on your wrist. And then you've got the internet, all that jazz. We invented that stuff. We made it. So a big city and a tall tower seem like nothing to us today, don't they? We build those all the time. Any of you from Chicago? Any of you? Well, you've been there, haven't you? You've all been there. Well, its skyscrapers seem to reach up and touch the heavens. In fact, Chicago is dubbed the Windy City, not for its Midwest winds. That's what you all think. <laughs> but rather for the windy arrogance of its politicians who boasted after the great fire that Chicago could do anything that it set its mind to do. So you all thought Windy City because the wind blows like in Nebraska and the Great Plains in Kansas 24-7-365. No, it's just the opposite. We can do anything we want. The boasting. Okay. Our cities are impressive. There's no doubt about it. When I walked the streets of Manhattan a few years ago when I was one of the sponsors for the choir and went with uh, Mrs. Colbert and some of the adults, when I walked the streets of Manhattan, I was absolutely amazed, especially when we walked on Wall Street. They're impressive in their architecture, their design, and their building. When you watch one of those tall buildings go up, you're going to be impressed. You watch TJ do his work, you'd be impressed with our engineering and our ability to harness and move material. The people at Shinar, they're so proud of themselves, aren't they? They're so impressed with themselves. They and we, and I do that on purpose, we're just like them. We will make a name for ourselves. And as I mentioned earlier, in Genesis 9, God said to Noah and his descendants, you are to fill the earth. They are going to stay in one place. They act as if they are God unto themselves. They're totally disobeying God's command to fill the earth. You see this? So when you read Genesis 11, you can't read it apart from the context of Genesis 9, where God said, now you go and fill the earth. And they say, nope, ain't going to do that. We'll do what we want. See the sin that's going on here? Okay, let's keep going. So the text says, the Lord comes down. Let us go down. The Lord's not impressed, is he? When he looks down to see the city that man intended to build. And so, <laughs> I have to say this. When, uh, when John Wagner was contracted to put the deck on at the parsonage, and he started the work, and he had the post dug, and he had them, you know, cemented in the ground, you know, and he just started work, and I was at home. I'm always at home, you know. You can always find me at home. <laughs> 
And uh, so all of a sudden, so I go to the door, and the man at the door doesn't introduce himself. It's not polite, but immediately says, you don't have a permit to put that deck up in the back. And I, took, I extended my hand, and I said, hello, my name is Brent Kuhlman. What's yours? You don't have a permit to put that up. Well, this is how the county works, you know. He was a county building inspector. And so I said, well, I think we do. But he said, no, you don't have a permit. And uh, so I said, okay, so do what you have to do. So he left. And he never introduced himself, never identified himself, which, you know, leads me to think anything to do with the county, forget it. I want nothing to do with with that experience. So I got on the phone and I called the county office in Plattsmouth and I talked to the person who's in charge of building permits and building inspections. And I identified myself. I was very polite, very kind. I know you find that hard to believe, but I was very kind and very polite. And I said, well, one of your building inspectors was here. He did not identify himself, so I don't know his name, but he was here and he said, we don't have a building permit. What's your address? I gave him the address. So he looked it up, he goes, yeah, you have a building permit. <clears throat> I said, thank you very much. I said, would you investigate that and see what's happened? Then I hung up, then I called John Wagner. I said, John, so-and-so was here, et cetera, et cetera. Do we have a building permit? He goes, of course we do. I have it right here next to me on my seat of my truck. Okay. Then I got a phone call later from the county, same guy, the head, head cheese. He goes, here's what happened. My inspector had the wrong address. The parsonage has an address, and the church itself has an address. So the parsonage is three, one, 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 two church road. This, the church is three, one, one, zero, four church road. He only went with the church address. He didn't take the time to see maybe there's a different address. Now I tell you that story because here now God in the text, he's like a what? When he comes down to see, he's like a divine building inspector. And the Lord looks over the plans for man's city with its impressive skyscraper tower and says, this isn't good, <clears throat> to use the language opposite of Genesis 1. This isn't good. This is only the beginning of what they will do and they're capable of just about anything. Now, you sometimes hear people say, if we could only get everyone together and on the same page. Does this sound familiar? We, I hear it every day from certain people in charge of what they think they're in charge of the world. Now, on the one hand, there's a grain of truth to that, but on the other hand, well, let's just keep going. If we could only get everyone together and on the same page, we could do almost anything. This is utopian language, by the way. On the one hand, but on the other hand, it's a yes and no kind of deal. And the no kind of deal is, no, this is too utopian. We can't do everything. In any event, let's keep going here. I'll get too carried away. And that's true to a certain extent. Brought together as one, humanity could literally do almost every anything. As they talk today, <clears throat> a great reset. If you don't know what that is, look it up. But here's the problem. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, again, if you are not familiar with this language of the great reset, you must study this text in Genesis 11. And you must diagnose the, quote, great reset based upon what you know from Scripture on how these people talk in Genesis 11 and how the people today talk, they sound just like Genesis 11. Because we're so smart, we have so much technology, we can do anything we want. <clears throat> Here's the problem. Humanity's corrupted by sin. Remember Psalm 51 verse 5? 
King David tells the truth. From the very moment of my conception, I'm a sinner. Okay? Romans 3, chapter 9, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, yeah, humanity can get together if they want as one and try to do anything that they want, but be careful, be careful, they're not perfect people. As to quote Kelly Clarkson in one of the best videos I think I've ever seen in my life uh, from, I forget the name of the song right off the hand, but she says, we're not picture perfects. What's that song? I forget that song. What is it? Will you love me? Something like that. Anyway, I'm a geek. Forgive me. We're all turned inward on ourselves. We may be capable of almost anything if we just get together. However, and this is the warning, because we are sinners, this also means that we are capable of great evil. And the evil compounds. That's why our cities are so full of crime today. It's not that living in the city is bad. Don't misunderstand me. You want to live in the city? Be my guest. And living in the country is good. Don't do that dichotomy. That's a false dichotomy. Okay? It's just that there's more sinners per capita in the city than in, in rural Murdoch. <laughs> That's all. Okay? Just do your demographic studies. Now, what does God do? He confuses and disperses. God knows this. He comes down to the plain to cause confusion. What does God know? It's just what I told you. He knows these people are sinners, and they will try and do anything that they think they can do, and it will not be for good. So he's going to interrupt. <laughs> I can't help myself. Do you remember during Advent when I preached on Wednesday nights? Do you remember the theme of all the sermons? That in Christ Jesus, when God takes on flesh, what does he do? He interrupts your life. He barges in on your life. And here God interrupts. He barges in. Now with Jesus, that's a good intervention to save them. And I would contend this is also good as well. Let's keep going. <clears throat> so he comes down to the plain, causes confusion, scrambles the language and the words so the people can't understand each other. And when you can't understand one another, what do you do? You scatter. The name of the place where God did this is now Babel or Babel. That's shorthand for dun, da, da, what is to come in the Bible. Babylon. Babylon. Man's city. God raises, God raises up a kingdom later on called Babylon. Man's city. And Babylon always opposes God and God's people. The city that man builds with his brick and bitumen and arrogance. It's the city where man tries to be a little divinity and reach up into heaven by his own works. However, and I hope this is helpful for you, in the Bible, the city that God builds comes down from where? Heaven. We don't build that city. We're given to live in it now by faith, in Christ, and soon with resurrected bodies and sight on the last day as the book of Revelation teaches. The new Jerusalem will come down from heaven. The protective custody of confusion now. I call it the confusion that God gives, I call it protective custody. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, and I'm going to explain that here in a minute. Well, you might think, here, I, I know what I got in my mind, but I didn't say it very well, so let me thank you for the question. So you may read this text, you may think that this, this confusion bit, 
ooh, bad. I'm saying, no, it's good. Yeah, and, I, and the protective custody is how I like to talk about it. So hang on tight. Fasten your seatbelt. Let's see if it works, okay? Let's check it out. So I'm at the bottom of page three. Uh, and I have that. See, the geek came out again. See my footnote? You remember Genesis, their 1986 hit? Land of Confusion. You ever watch that video? Oh, it's just awesome. <laughs> I do stay home too much. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's because I'm watching The Land of Confusion by Genesis on, on YouTube. <laughs> so when I... <laughs> So again, when I say the protective custody of confusion, I'm not talking about that, the Genesis hit from 1986, okay? At Babel, God puts man under the protective custody of confusion. He confuses man's language to do what? This is why I say it's good. To limit his ambitions and to scatter him. And it works because language separates. It's a barrier. Look at the congregations that have immigrants from Central America, Sudan, China, Korea, etc. And if you can't communicate, they have their own services. So for example, if we had a bunch of Sudanese people move to Murdoch Elmwood area, and they were Lutherans, there's a lot of Lutherans in the Sudan, and if they would move to this area, and they'd say, can we borrow your building here at Trinity to have services on Sunday morning? Well, we'd say, of course we would. But they'd have it in their own language. The assimilation would be difficult for them. Just like our German, our German ancestors, you know. Good grief, German was spoken in this congregation for how long, Ron? When did, when did German finally get, get rid of? And we went to English finally here. Okay. So the 40s and 50s, right, finally did it. Yeah. World War I had an impetus in that as well. That's another story. Yeah, all right. So you understand the point. Let's go to page four. When you hear a talk then of one world... Great Reset, and One World This, One World That, The Great Reset This, The Great Reset That. And I'm going to say one more thing to pique your interest all the more. If you haven't studied this, you need to study this. Our world leaders get together every year and they talk about this and they meet on purpose to do this. You know, there was a hand. You're being a smart A? Yeah, okay. Smart Alec. Well, to a certain extent, that's true. I've spoken to this. And let me just say that to pique your interest. Um, Build Back Better is just simply a nice, polite way of saying, we're going to introduce socialism and Marxism in this country full force. That's no joke. It's no joke. They use language that you think are fine. I mean, you think, you, I, I, you know, you may be saying, oh, pastor, you're out of line by saying this. But no, it, I'm not. It's time, it's time to tell the truth. It's just simply time to tell the truth. And one of the reasons why we've got to this point in the United States is the pastors have been mum on the whole thing. And the church has been mum on this for decades. It's time for the church and it's time for pastors to call out a spade when it's a spade. And when, we're, when you're dealing with a Marxist communist, it's time to call them out. Seriously. Davos, Switzerland, that's correct. And it's all about the Great Reset. And what is, bottom line, Great Reset, just simply to, again, re it's, to, it's to make sure that the United States, which is hooked with Western civilization, and here's the big thing, here's the big thing, two things they want to eliminate. Number one, what do you think? What is the number one thing that these people want to eliminate from the face of the earth? What stands in the way? What's the, it's the Christian church. 
That's the number one thing they want to get rid of. And then what, what is a corollary to the Christian church? The family, the nuclear family. Yeah, that's where we're moving. It's called uh, transhumanism. If you think transgenderism is, you haven't seen, you haven't seen anything yet. We are on the ragged, you think transgenderism is the worst? No, we're, we're now, this has been going on for decades. It's now called transhumanism. So you're going to have people, if you haven't seen this yet, you will. It isn't that I'm a man and I think I'm a woman. And that, of course, is loony. It's total loony tunes. Uh, but now, now, now people have been talking for decades about, I'm not even a human being. I've moved beyond that. If you've not read, uh, oh, I'll remember it later. But yeah, you're exactly right. But Christianity, because why? Why do they want to go against Christianity? Because Christianity believes in a, to use the language of AA, a superior power. At least AA tells the truth. If you're a recovering alcoholic and you're in the 12-step program, at least you do two things that the church has lost. I'm speaking in general to make my point. At least AA tells people to tell the truth. You're not in control of your life. You've sinned. I'm, I'm added. They don't talk like that. But you, you've done something wrong, and you need to tell the truth. And they have to actually confess it. And then they have to rely on a higher power. We should learn that from AA. The church could learn a lot from AA. Confess your sin, tell the truth, and then rely on... So the, the Christian church is the main target. Just as Hitler and Stalin and Lenin... Pol Pot, well, they all went after Christianity because Christianity has a God. And God runs the show. His word runs the show. You don't. And so they have to eliminate the church. And why the family? Because the head of the family, the husband, is going to make sure that this, this, this thing gets, gets promulgated in his family and in society. And so the family gets attacked. And the most important part of the family that gets attacked, and this is, I'm going to write the word on the board, because everybody hates this word. That is now the most demonic word you could say to a man or to this culture right now. And we as Christians need to reclaim it. Patriarchy, if you can't see it. Patriarchy. And I'm just simply saying that this term, best construction is, man is the head of the home. Husband is the head of the family. He leads. The wife helps. Help meet. Genesis. Okay? So if you're picking up what I'm throwing down, to be a man in this world, and especially a Christian man, is the most demonic person you can be. And these people must be eliminated. But that's just a piggyback. Let's go to page four. So when you hear of all this talk, one world this, one world that, God, just like at Babel, he gets pushed out purposely, as I just tried to tell you. God doesn't think this is a terribly good idea. <laughs> By the way, so to eliminate this, we are told what? To eliminate the patriarchy, namely man is the head of the family, the husband is the head of his marriage and family, what's replaced it? Well, you're seeing it. It's Genesis 3. Eve usurps the headship, Adam abdicates it. Genesis 3, God goes after Eve, why? Because the devil knows that Adam's the head of the house, Adam's the head of the church, and so Eve then usurps it, and Adam abdicates it. This, so this is all what's going on here. So that's why he leaves this, 
That's why I say the protective custody of confusion. God does what? He leaves countries in place on this side of the resurrection, on this side of the last day. He purposely leaves countries in their place. That's why he even puts up, I would contend, with even divisions in his church. A one world or a great reset won't amount to anything good if we all get together. All we sinners will do is make a name for ourselves instead of hallowing God's name. All we sinners will do is make ourselves great at the expense of others. I think this is true. I hope this is helpful for you. Do you have any other questions about this? Now the fulfillment then. Check it out. Babel reversed. Babel undone, if you will. Acts 2. I have the text in front of you. Let's check it out. Is it 10 tell? Is that our time? Okay, 54. Okay, I'll set my watch better. So when the day of Pentecost comes, notice they're all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And notice, they began to speak in other tongues. These are languages. As the Spirit gave them utterance. This is not... These are languages that people can understand. And you know why I do this, don't you? Because we live in a country where people say that that speaking in tongues, Acts 2 is... It's not. Acts 2 is languages that people can understand, like dosvidanya, spasiba, shonesvetterhoitenikvar. Ah, comrade. Skull. Verse 5. They're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together. Multitude came together. So what's scattered, they're all together. And they're bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his. See what the text says? Their own language. And they were amazed and astonished. Why? Because these are Galileans. These are fishermen that don't know Jack. Okay? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, etc. See all those nations? Okay? Look at verse 11. Jews, proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues, that's languages, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, they mocked them and said, well, they're drunk. Peter then preaches. Verse 14. Peter, he stands up with the eleven. He lifts up his voice and he addresses them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people, they're not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Namely, it's 9 a.m. Maybe by 5 p.m., maybe, but it's only 9. I'm sorry. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And now he quotes Joel, the second chapter. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, etc., etc., etc. So what happens at Pentecost is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that God would pour out his spirit on all people. And now we see, a wit- we see it happening right now with the 12. Okay? Go to page f- uh, 5. 
Go to verse 22. Oh, no, 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless men. Boy, that's gutsy, isn't it? It is. Uh, by being a pastor is extremely dicey. No joke. You preach sermon, you killed him. Woo! Or, and now how dicey is it today? You killed him. Your sin put him there. <laughs> See ya, I gotta go. This is dicey stuff. In any event, it's the truth. Um, verse 24, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, and now he quotes the Old Testament again, I saw the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You'll make me full of gladness with your presence. That's Psalm 16. Now Peter says, now brothers, I, I say this to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. But being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw, that's King David, he foresaw and he spoke about something. What's that? The resurrection of the Christ, that he would not be abandoned to Hades. That's Psalm 16. Nor did his flesh see corruption. Psalm 16. Just what he quoted. This Jesus God raised up, and of all that we are all witnesses. More on that on another Bible study, but there were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. That's huge. It's not a lie. Okay? Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing, namely the Spirit. For David did not ascend to heaven, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, Psalm 110, which is the Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. That's a whole nother study. Now, finally then, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, namely Jesus, Lord and the Messiah, Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, so you have the pouring out of the Holy Spirit on the 12. They preach in languages. And as Joel said, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people. Now, notice how the Holy Spirit give, gets given to those who aren't one of the 12. Notice how. Check it out. Uh, what verse am I on here? 37. Now they're all cut to the heart. You would be too. When Peter, Peter preached to you, you're responsible for killing Christ. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And verse 38, Peter says, repent. That means believe what I just told you. Tell the truth about what you did and now believe what I just told you about this Jesus. Come on in, Cale. We'll get started here in a few minutes. Peter said to them, repent, and then he says, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and now Pentecost comes to you, how? Through baptism, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Joel 2 is fulfilled when the apostles preach in languages that people can understand, and when people are baptized. Their sins are forgiven, and they are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, duh, 
Because when you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father gives himself to you with his name, the Son gives himself to you with his name, the Holy Spirit gives himself to you with his name. So Pentecost, so today we have a baptism. Next Sunday we have a baptism, good grief. So every Sunday with a baptism is a little Pentecost. And finally, if I may, I know I'm running out of time, but every time the gospel is preached in a language that you can understand, what language is that? That's right. That's a language that you can understand. The Holy Spirit is at work. It's a little Pentecost. So I do this on purpose because we are tempted as Christians to go to this big mega church, box church in Omaha or Lincoln or Kansas City where people do this. And think the Holy Spirit's going on. Nobody can understand any of it. Read 1 Corinthians very carefully. Paul says, I wish that I could speak just three words that are comprehensible. That'd be better than this. The Holy Spirit's at work when you hear the gospel preached in your language. It's a little Pentecost every Sunday. I hope that's helpful for you. So if you're picking up what I'm throwing down, don't let anybody critique you and make fun of you and mock you. Oh, you Lutherans, you poor, pitiful Lutherans. Well, we are. We're poor and pitiful. That's true. But, however, if they say, you need to learn more about the Holy Spirit. If you only had the Holy Spirit, my God, you'd be, oh, you'd be on fire, people, for the Lord. And don't, don't buy into that lie. Are you full of the Holy Spirit? Yes, you are, because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, when the Holy Spirit gives you His name in baptism, He makes your body to be His temple. He dwells in you. And when you hear the gospel in your ears that go to your heart, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. <laughs> the problem is, is the Holy Spirit just uses these ordinary things that aren't impressive, like water, with the divine name. Totally unimpressive. If I may, I'm going to say something more about this. I'm on a roll. Um, sometimes people object when they see a baptism of a little child and say, but the child didn't do anything. Bingo. Precisely. When it comes to, salvary, when, when it comes to, when to, when it comes to salvation's accomplishment, I didn't do anything. When it comes to salvation's delivery, we don't do anything. We simply receive both accomplishment and delivery. Okay. Any questions? All right, I've got to rehearse with the kids for Easter, so let's pray the Lord's Prayer, and then I'll bless you. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 